Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the MMA on Sirius XM podcast. Today it was me, RJ Clifford, alongside Anthony Lionheart Smith. We spoke to one of Anthony's training partners, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. We asked him about what's next for Chris Wyman, what's next for him, and he has the most boring plans for his 40th birthday. We also asked who has the best jujitsu in all of the UFC. The answer may surprise you. Have fun. Wonder Boy, Stephen Thompson, how you doing? Doing good, my friend. Glad to be on with you guys. I love the in, the entry, the though playing the tenacious D Wonderboy. I love it. Doing great, man. How about you guys? Well, good. You uh, you bring a smile to every room you walk in on or call into. And I was I, I was going to ask, like, does it ever get old? The one where you're like, how, how about a radio show gets creative one time and does like a different intro for me instead of just like the usual? But you want the uh, you want to play wants to play the classics. Yeah, man, I love it, dude. I love it, man. It, it's easy for me because that's just who I am. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm always I've always been that way. Um, just 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 always with a smile on my face, man. And even. It, I find too, like coming into the gym, you know, here it's when days you don't want to come in and train, you know what I mean? You're in mid training camp and you're feeling terrible, but it all makes it better when you put a smile on your face, you know? Yeah. It's almost like evil that you're like knocking people out with a smile on your face, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like if you were angry, you'd be like, okay, yeah, it's par for the core. If you're just like, oh, I'm happy go lucky. Boom. You're in a coma. Yeah, I got a you know you know I got I got a job to do when I'm out there. Why not do it with a smile on your face? You know why not love doing what you do? <laughs> well, that uh, well that's the big question is when are we going to see you do what you do? Um, it's been a while since you fought. We don't have as far as I know, you don't have anything on the books. Is there is there something cooking? Is there a target in mind? What and and why the holdup? Yeah, man. Uh, well, I was out for a while after my last fight with Bilal. I ended up uh, tearing the cartilage in my collarbone, and that took – and it, it, was, it was one of those old injuries. I, I ended up injuring it in my second fight in the UFC against Matt Brown, and then I ended up hurting it again. I think I was training with Chris Weidman, and he throws me around like a little rag doll all the time. So <laughs> ended up hurting it, helping him get ready for a fight, and then during the Bilal fight. So I think, I think just – over time and just keep re-injuring it. It just took, it takes longer for it to heal. And of course, you know, I'll be 40 in February, but no excuses, no excuses. Um, so it took me a little while to get that fixed. And as of right now, I, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, you know, um, um, hopefully, hopefully we'll hear something back from the UFC this week. And, uh, you know, maybe looking at, at Kevin Holland, I thought I know that was an option, so we'll see. Not not sure uh, yet, but keep your fingers crossed for sure. Steven, did you uh, did you see that Kevin Holland posted something of like you know like hinting at retirement or something like that? Did you do you see that at all? I did. I did see that, and I, I think he's just kind of blowing smoke. I think he was just kind of throwing it out there to call it to just to get some. I don't know. I don't know why he would do that, but. Um, <clears throat> But I, I don't think we've seen the last of him. Um, from what I'm hearing, he's still going to be in the UFC, which is, which is why they had mentioned him to, to, for him to fight me. So I'm not really sure what, why the whole he, that whole tweet of him retiring uh, that, that surprised me. Does does a matchup like that excite you? You know, a, a guy that you know is is gonna, and again. You, I've trained with you. I talk about it all the time, how, how good your takedown defense was and your wrestling. And, and, but it, it, obviously it's, it's, I guess the narrative is that, you know, you struggle, you have struggled with wrestlers or, 
you know, those are really tough fights because that's all they want to do is take you down because you're such a fantastic striker. Does it, does a guy like Kevin Holland like really excite you knowing that he's going to want to stand in front of you and, and play that game? Oh, a hundred percent. It really does, man. I mean, those, I feel like that's what excites me because they're exciting fights. I mean, my last two guys that would stand in, and fight it was Jeff Neal and Vicente Luque. We we ended up getting fight of the night, performance of the night. Um, <clears throat> those are really exciting. The, the, the crowd, the fans love it. It's the, it's the fights that I know. And you know, I I always prepared for wrestlers, right? But I'm not. I wasn't really prepared for guys that would take me down and literally just you know trying to hold me there. Like I, I didn't really I didn't really prepare for that. And you win fights that way. You know when I fought. Uh, Gilbert, not a whole, I mean, there was a little action there, but most of the time it was him just kind of hugging my hip and hold, trying to hold me down, not really trying to transition to anything. It was just a hold, you know, and he's ridiculously strong. So it was very difficult for me to, to work my way back up, you know. But uh, now that I know that guys win fights that way, I've got to prepare, be prepared for that as well. But it does excite me against somebody as as fancy as my man Kevin Holland because he brings a different, uh, you know, different vibe to the welterweight division. I mean, he's like what six four with an eighty inch reach. Um, he had a huge, um, you know, like win streak in in the one eighty five, and then he came down to one seventy. He's doing work, so it definitely excites me. Well, and he's and he's young, uh, which brings me to my next question. You you talked about your injury and coming back from it and, and going to be 40 soon, which I, I actually think shocks a lot of people. Cause I don't think a lot of people look at you as a, you know, the, one of the, probably one of the older guys in the division, but you don't age. Yeah. It's like not fair. It's not. Do you, do you feel it though? Do you, do you feel like you're 40? I mean, you have a lot of kickboxing experience. You got a lot of MMA experience. I mean, you've been training in martial arts your entire life. I mean, I think sometimes people look at me and say, Oh, he's got 50 fights and you know, whatever, but I've only been, fighting in martial arts and, and training like that since 2006 or seven, but you've been doing it your entire life. So I guess it's a kind of a two-part question. I, obviously I don't, I don't think you're looking down the, the aisle at retirement, but it, you know, like, how do you feel? How's your body holding up and, and how much longer do you want to go? Yeah, man. Well, you know, I've, I've always taken care of my body and, and I think, the 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 transition from kickboxing into MMA later in my years. I think I was 28, almost almost 30. Um, ha, has helped me the longevity of of me being in the fight game, and I think my style has a lot to do with it too. You know, my my move my movement, trying not to get. Of course, I don't like getting hit, but I think my style, not taking too much punishment. I've been knocked out once, knock on wood, but I've only been knocked out once. And the goal is to keep it that way. Um, so I think it's my style that's helped me and the way I train has helped me the longevity in the sport, you know, um, you know, I, I've done, I've done some work with you and, and I love the way that you, you do your sparring and we kind of, you know, we're on the same, same level when it comes to, to how we train, you know, and taking care of your body in that, in the old days, it was like beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> and most guys lost their chin in the gym, not even in the fight. So uh, just training the right way. And uh, no, I don't. I don't feel it at all. I feel great. Um, uh, and I'll, I told my dad I'll do this as long as my body will let me, or when he says I'm done. Because you know, as a fighter, I want to fight till till the day I die. I, I love to compete. I love to. I love the training. 
and uh, he sees it in me and knows my body probably just by looking at me. You know, you, you, I feel like you're overtrained today, man. Take you know, take today off or let's get let's just, let's get a massage or something. You know, as a fighter, I want to keep going, but as a coach, it's his job to say, hey, I think we need to to, to chill out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? What do you think was harder, as far as the preparation, the training, and the and the competing? Because I feel like kickboxing. Anytime I, you know, I've been, and like you said, like I, I spar and train really smart now, but back in the day, it was just gym fights. So I feel like like those hard kickboxing rounds sometimes could be harder on you than anything. So I, you know, do you think that the, your kickboxing days were tougher to prepare for and, and do, or, or is it, you know, fighting now at the highest level in the UFC? Definitely. I, I feel like it's now. Um, now the, the fights were different. So in the fight, you know, we only had two minutes to get to get work in. Those were some of the most tiring rounds in, in the fight that I've ever had, even in the five-minute rounds that we do in MMA, you know, because there, there are times. And, and I think at, the, at that level, you know when, to, when, when you can rest and when you cannot. But in a, but in a kickboxing fight, it's nonstop. There can be no rest because the, the rounds were so short. I remember I fought, oh, man, it was the Waco World Championships, which is kind of like our, our Olympics. It was 170-something countries representing this tournament. And I fought a, a different guy every day. It was a week-long event, and I fought a Russian at the end. And at the end of that fight, when I fought the Russian, I, I won gold in 2005. And uh, at the end of that fight, I was cross-eyed. I, I literally couldn't see straight because I was so exhausted. Um, and I think um, the training now and learning new things is harder because in the kickboxing game, I had my style. We knew uh, it was stand-up only, didn't have to really prepare for anything else but that. But now I think the preparation is a little bit more difficult because everybody is different, you know, especially when it comes to the fight game. you got more of a grappler, more of a wrestler. Okay, this guy's a striker. It's, it's, it's definitely harder to prepare for somebody in the MMA and the UFC than it was for kickboxing. How's Chris Weidman doing? Obviously, he had his, his injury, and then it, we were told everything was going great. Like, he's already, like, in the gym, and then something went wrong, another surgery. Um, how, what's the latest on him? He's a wild man, this guy. Chris Weidman, yeah. he literally – I saw him more when he was in New York than I do now, and he lives literally about an hour <laughs> and a half away from me. And I don't know why that is, but I, I, he, he's a wild man. He's, he's training. He's, he, you know, he, he, the guy cannot stop training. Right, that's just who he is, and uh, he had a little problem earlier. I think he had an infection in um, where they took his screws out. Had an infection, um, took some, took a little bit of time off, but he's back in the training now. But he he's just stronger than stronger than ever, and I think the time off for him to heal, not just for his leg, but for his body entirely, has has been he's benefited from it. Um, I know he's got that itch. He really wants to step back out there and do it again, but making sure that that shin is on point is key at this point. You know what I mean? I don't think he'll ever be the same um, when it comes to the kicking game. Of course, he was never a kicker. He can never kick again and still be uh, – and, and still win fights, right, with his boxing, mm -hmm. boxing and, his, and his wrestling. It's funny because, you know, I've sparred other 185ers and even, even you know, guys that are heavier. I don't know what it is about that guy, but he is he's strong as an ox. Like he – I don't get it. I just don't get it. But uh, he's doing great, man, and uh, hopefully we'll see him back out there fairly soon. Steven, I've, I've told people 
that I've never been more confused and more frustrated in a training session than when it was me, <laughs> you, and Chris Weidman. <laughs> like the the wrestling when I was you're wrestling with Chris and you're just getting belly to backed all over the place and single legs left and right. And then he gets on top of you and he he feels like he's superhuman. But he's also a really good striker with a, a little bit of a shade of you in there. You know, like I don't think people really notice that when he fights, but he's got a little bit of your style and, and your movement a little bit. And then you're like, oh, okay, round's over. I can move on to someone else. But then the someone else is is you. And it's a, also the most frustrating, confusing thing in the world, just in a totally different way. So I, I always thought it was so fascinating that you guys were were so close and trained together and, and didn't quite get it till I seen it. But uh, I tell that story all the time. It's, it was the, one of the hardest, most confusing, most frustrating and most learning I've done in one day, man. I, I had said that was one of my, one of my, uh, favorite times of sparring was when you came out and being able to have you and Chris and just the other guys out there having fun. And man, it, it was awesome. It was awesome. And bro, you dude, are you kidding me? You were lighting me up. Don't even say you weren't. Okay. <laughs> you, were, you were rocking out there, dude. There was no way you were that frustrated, but it, it's fun, right? It's, it was such a, a, a crazy thing how we got together and, um, and the relationship that we have now, man, he's, he's, he's pretty much my brother. And, uh, and I, I can't go a, do do a training camp without without him. Even when he was injured, he would come in and, and help coach, and he would bring guys in and be a part. But man, I, I can't. I don't think I will ever do another training camp without him. He's just he's he's such um, a good human being and an amazing fire fighter in wrestling and fighting IQ. It's helped me out so much, man. And it just worked for both of us. Uh, last one, you mentioned uh, turning 40 in February. Big plans? You're going to buy a Harley, go across the country, go to Thailand? <laughs> like, it's 40, man. Like, what's you know, what, you got to go big. Man, it's big 40. And, and you know what I'll be doing? I will be here at the gym teaching kids classes and probably taking <laughs> kids in the school. Oh, come on. <laughs> you got to do something. Man, we, we, we run a tight ship here at Upstate Karate, man. And nobody, even yeah. if you're sick, you're like, all right, nope, you're working, buddy. You're getting out there and you're putting in putting in the time. I mean, it, it really is. And we've grown so much moving into the, our new school. You know, we went from 600 students to about 850 and still growing at this point. Wow. And it's a family-run business. You know, me, my dad, my mom, my aunt, my brother. Um, we, run a, we run a tight ship. So I will definitely be here doing my thing. This is, this is what I love. That, you know, fighting is kind of like my it, – I, I don't have to – fight to make a living i do it because i like to compete and um i like the training that comes with it and the focus and the the uh the discipline uh that comes with training and uh if it were me if i was president i would feel like everybody in the united states has to go through at least one training camp just to see what it's like and what you can learn from that would be just amazing but uh i this, uh, this is what i love to do love to teach man when you got these kids coming in who are, you know, uh, for whatever reason. And after that first class, they'll leave with a smile on their face and the confidence you see in it. It's amazing, bro. It is it's awesome. You know what's also amazing? Shoving dollar bills into a stripper's G-string on your 40th birthday. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's a lot of amazing things out there. 
And you, you know, there's options. I'm just telling you there's options. Uh, Steven Thompson, always a gentleman, always putting a smile on everyone's face, uh, unless they're fighting or training with him. Thanks for coming on, bud. We appreciate it. Anytime guys. I appreciate y'all. And Anthony, hope to see you soon, my friend. Yeah, I'll see you soon, man. All right, brother. Y'all have a good one. Bye-bye. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. When you think, Anthony, best jujitsu in the UFC, you go like, oh, it's, you know, it's the guys with the most world championships, right? Jacare, Damian Maya, Gilbert Burns, Robocop. Like you're thinking, oh, it's, you know, guys that are multiple time world champions in jujitsu. But MMA submission and ground game is very different than jujitsu. They're, they're two different sports. And obviously there's a lot of crossover, but they're two different things. And Charles Oliveira has the best MMA submission ground game in all of the world, even though he doesn't have the accolades of a Damian Maya Gilbert Burns. And I love that Mackenzie Dern kind of inadvertently made that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. Really? Um, does he possess the best jujitsu skills in the UFC? No, but he's the most effective for sure. He's the, he's the best finisher. He's figured out how to, He's tailored his game. He's tailored his jujitsu to this sport better than anybody else. Um, I would argue a little bit maybe Damian Maya is is right there. Um, just because of I don't know the way that he fought. I think I think you get into some generational differences there uh as well. And and I think Charles is a better, I don't even want to say he's a better wrestler, because I don't think I could say that. Yeah. But he figures out how to get there better than Damian Maya did. Um, and he's a better striker, which gives him the ability to get to the wrestling. Mm -hmm. Damian Maya, you kind of only had to worry about the jujitsu part of it. He wasn't that, he wasn't a great striker by any sense of the imagination. So there was only one threat. That was the takedown that led to the insufferable fucking jujitsu. Mm -hmm. Charles is a bigger issue because he's such a dangerous striker that he can get you focused on his strikes and his power and his kicking game and his attacks to the midsection. And then he can switch it up and get into the clinch and drag you to the mat and take your back and whatever he's going to do. But yeah, I, I, I disagree. I, I don't disagree. I, I, I think there's more layers to it and, and maybe some other conversations to be had, but uh, I think that's a fantastic assessment by her. It's almost like Charles Oliveira wasn't poisoned for lack of a better word by like the point jujitsu circuit, right? He didn't get into the, all right, I got to make sure I, fight to this half guard to get an advantage and then make sure I don't lose position and lose a point. Like he's, he, he didn't like cultivate in that style. He was in an, all right, I need MMA effective jujitsu. I, well, I mean, I mean, you can live and die by that too, though, because he doesn't, he doesn't live anywhere. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is everyone has a, uh, okay. I don't want to say everyone, most people, and you would, you'll, you understand this. Most people have a system. Everyone, remember, I always talk about like a road. Everyone's driving down a road. And that road for each individual person is different. But for that, for, for me, it's pretty much the same. Like I'll arm lock people and, and, you know, attack submissions from the top. But like my road ends in a back take or a triangle. And that's, yeah. 
everything is kind of geared around that. And Charles Oliveira is not like that. Most jujitsu people are. Um, I rolled with uh, Nikki Rod, Nikki Rodriguez, runner up in the ADCC recently, um, rolled with him during my training camp. And even at the highest level, everybody has a road. And his road was headed one direction <laughs> the whole time. Um, and so it, even at that level, it's, it's very similar. So he doesn't really have one of those. He just, he's very opportunistic. He, he grabs a hold of things. He doesn't really care where he winds up or lands, which is great and, and makes him very dangerous. But at the same time, guys like Gilbert Burns kind of, they prioritize position over submission. They want to get to a safe spot where they're going to be able to dominate and control and hold people. Um, but it's much easier. I would much rather grapple Gilbert Burns than Charles Oliveira because Gilbert, I kind of know where we're going. You know, if he gets a takedown, and he lands in half guard, I know exactly the position that I have to fight and we can hang out and I could probably hang out there for as long as I need to. Uh, Charles Oliveira's not that guy. You have no idea where he's going to hang out and he's going to start grabbing onto shit and, and chaining submissions together. It's, it's really fun to watch. And I think all the credit has to go to Makako. Jorge Patino is the, the jiu-jitsu coach at Shootbox and he's been Charles Oliveira's coach because he's, he's old school like fighting submissions. Whereas, like you just said, we're not here to, all right, I'm in, I'm on my back. Oh, let me make sure I secure a tricep. Let me sure I hold their head down. He's like, no, we're attacking. We're rolling for arm bars. We're rolling for legs. Like we are immediately attacking. And if they pass guard, we're going to attack something else. And if they get pass again, we're going to attack something else. It's attack, 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 which is so functional for mixed martial arts because you're setting up scrambles and you're, and you're, and you're going right. Like, how many times have you seen Charles Oliveira go for an armbar from guard? Like every time he's on his back. Uh, a billion. <laughs> he, and he never hits it. He's never, I don't think he's ever hit an armbar from guard, but he hits it every time because it sets up scrambles. Because now I'm defending. Now I was like, okay, now that you're up, I'm going to roll to your leg. And now that's going to set up a triangle. Or now I'm going to go for a sweep or I think that's whatever exactly how he caught Let's... Kevin Lee. I think it was like just kind of a trashy yep. little armbar attempt. Kevin Lee pulled out, left his head down uh, and jumped a triangle right away. It, I think just, I remember right. always putting his opponent on the defensive. And that's such one. It's the most exciting form of jujitsu. Like it just makes MMA better. Like Charles other isn't in boring fights, right? He's, he's not playing jujitsu. He's attacking submissions and they're two very, very different things. And that's what I hope will be the evolution of MMA ground game is a constant attack of submissions like Charles Oliveira, as opposed to I'm in guard. Let me get to half guard. Let me get to side mount. Let me get to mount. Let me hold this position. Maybe I'll get a rear naked. It's like, no, we're, we're going to do backflips and cartwheels into, into, into triangles. Oh, I think there's a fine line between what Charles Oliveira does and what Tony Ferguson does. And I think that that's, that's where, it, as the game evolves, we're going to see a lot more Tonys than Charles Oliveira's because it takes a really special individual to fight like Charles does because that's – not, not only is it hard to do, and you have to have a really high-level understanding of a lot of different submissions from a lot of different positions. Um, like, he can attack arm bars from the top, from the bottom. I've seen him attack triangles from having someone's back. I mean, he, he just has a really wide array of submission attacks. It's, it's insane. Um, but it's also dangerous, and it's not very fun because a lot of times you put yourself in some really compromising positions. You know, it's, uh, you never want to be on the top of your shoulders with your head rolled up underneath of you attacking stuff with your legs. Um, Cause at some point in time, you're going to take an absolute fucking bomb uh, mm -hmm. and you just got to be able to be okay with that and deal with it. 
But I also think like, because I'm wired like you, like I was, I was a wrestler first, but like I'm a brown belt in jujitsu, but wrestling was my base for everything. And so like when I'm in bad positions, I'm like, I think in those terms, it's like, oh, I have to get out of this bad position into a better one. Charles Oliveira just thinks I know how to get submissions from anywhere. Like I'm all right. I'm stuck, you know, shoulders flat, legs, you know, knees in my face, sniffing my own jock, but I can, I know three submission moves from this position. Right. And so it's like, when you're in that mentality of there's no bad position because I can attack a submission from anywhere, like opens up a whole new mentality of ground game. It does. And it opens up. I don't know. It really opens it up because you're, you're not afraid to go anywhere. That's what I've always said is in my opinion is the, the thing that makes him so dangerous is he's willing to fight anywhere. He doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I, and I have been on record saying that, like, I think that that's going to be the, the, the downfall of him. And so far it hasn't been, you know, so he's, he's made a liar out of me because I just think that it's so dangerous at times to just be so willing to, to be in some of those positions, but he's just proven time and time again, that he's just that goddamn good and he can find his way through. Um, I think that this fight with, uh, Makachev is going to be the deciding factor on how good and how able Charles Oliveira's jiu-jitsu really is. Because if he's really willing to, to, to go to the ground and play that game and not really fight the position they end up in and just go from wherever they end up, um, and he's able to be successful from there, uh, I, I mean, I think you go ahead and just chuck that guy. You just give, get him in the Hall of Fame right now. Dude, Oliveira, Makachev is just the cat's meow it's too perfect it's too perfect top wrestling control guy crazy jujitsu guy and oh yeah the protege of khabib Nurmagomedov, that Oliveira can just choke unconscious and then give khabib the double bird and dare him to come back it's 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 just everything it's it's the joy of my life do you do you think he could you think Oliveira could be i can't love a woman as much as i love Oliveira versus makachev do you think that Oliver is the one that could drag Khabib back? I think if he just manhandles Makachev and like grabs his hat, puts it on Khabib, himself. you're taking everything I work for, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> it's the only exactly. sense of English he can speak. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. Like, that's my dream. Man, that, yeah. what if he just stole every just catch line of every top fighter? Like he hits him with the Nate Diaz. I don't know. And then comes back with some cold ass Connor line and then just walks out. That'd be so fucking awesome. I, I think he should just get like just super, super evil. It's like fuck Dagestan. Fuck your family. Fuck your religion. Just, just <laughs> vile. Just like just evil. Just well, really I mean, get it. I don't soul. know if I'd go that far. I, I think it'd be way funnier if you just hit him with some cold ass quotes. I, I only care that Khabib comes back. I don't care how many lives have to burn for that to happen. Well, I mean, that would suck, but yeah. he'd come back and then Oliver would probably beat him too. Yeah. Oh my God. What if I, what if I actually willed this into existence? What if, and, what if I, Nate, what if I contributed like resigns with the UFC and beats them both? God. And I, and I did it. I, 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 I would take at least 1.7% responsibility for all that happening. <laughs> Willing it into existence. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't wait for Nate Diaz to come back and beat Oliveira. Yeah. Yeah. Imagination. 
You've got a vivid one. MMA Today is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch MMA Today Tuesday through Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156, and on the SXM app. Podcasts.